be seated. How's everybody doing today? Good? Good? I'm doing fantastic. Uh, those of you that were here last week uh, might remember that I felt like I was semi on death's door. And today is the first day that I woke up. I'm like, you know what? I feel pretty good. I feel pretty good. So I'm very excited about that. And I hope all of you all are feeling well also. Uh, we are continuing a sermon series we've been doing this summer where we have been looking at different times in the Gospels that Jesus quotes from the Old Testament. So we're going to continue that today. In today's passage, Jesus tells a story or a parable to make a point. He then links that story back to a prophecy from the Old Testament before applying both the story and the prophecy to his present audience. We're going to dive into scripture straight away. Please turn with me to Matthew chapter 21. We will read verses 33 through 45. That's Matthew chapter 21, beginning in verse 33, page 776 in the Pew Bible. It'll also be on the screen behind me. Hear the word of the Lord. Hear another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and drew him out of the vineyard and killed him. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruit. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. Amen. The grass withers and flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. The people Jesus is speaking to in this passage are in the midst of of rejecting Jesus. The story Jesus tells in these verses, the prophetic psalm that he quotes, and his own teaching have bad 
implications for some in his audience. For the Pharisees and chief priests, what Jesus says is a direct indictment of them. This is on purpose. Jesus takes issue with them because they are missing the whole basis of life. Jesus himself is that basis. Instead of embracing him, the Pharisees and chief priests want to destroy him. They do everything in their power to do so. What was bad news for them is good news for anyone who will base their life on the cornerstone that is Jesus Christ. Jesus poses an either or proposition for all people. He is the basis for life or that on which those who reject him will break themselves. The people Jesus is speaking to in this passage are in the midst of rejecting him. This rejection is another installment in a pattern of rejection. The parable Jesus tells really hits on this fact. In the story, a man builds a vineyard which he leases out. Those leasing the vineyard, they refuse to pay, they refuse to give what is owed to the owner of the vineyard. So the owner of the vineyard, he sends servants to retrieve what is owed him. This doesn't go well. The, the tenants, they jump the servants. They beat them up. They kill at least one of them. This happens again. Finally, the owner sends his son, who the tenants kill. Sometimes the parables Jesus tells are, are a little bit hard to follow. There's some interpretation that has to happen, some, some understanding that people who read it have to seek it. This is not one of those times. God is the owner of the vineyard. The servants are the prophets that have come to the people of Israel throughout the Old Testament. Jesus is the Son. Those listening get what Jesus is saying readily. They are not dummies. Now, sometimes I'm sure you guys find yourself in this situation where you'll have somebody in your life and, and you want them to learn some sort of lesson, right? Sometimes it's a child, sometimes it's a spouse, sometimes it's somebody you work with. And so you'll tell that person a story. You'll mention something, hoping, oh yeah, you know, my spouse, if I tell this story, will figure out that I really want them to do the dishes. Or my child, if I tell them this story, they'll really understand that they should be careful when they're driving the car. And sometimes that works, and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes the people you tell the story to get it, sometimes they miss the point. It kind of depends on the clarity of the story. But sometimes you tell one of these stories, and the person you're talking to says to you, 
why don't you just tell me exactly what you want me to do, right? Jesus is telling the Pharisees exactly what he wants them to do. This parable is very clear cut. But they are not pleased with the message that he is communicating. They don't want to be like the generations that came before them. They are aware of how prophets were treated in the past, but they think they are different. They think they are better than their forefathers. Jesus actually does agree with his audience in one respect. They are different. And they're forefathers. They're different in that they are even worse. As bad as the prophets were treated throughout the Old Testament, what those listening are going to do to Jesus is even worse. The evil they're going to commit is worse than they even know. It's worse than anything that has happened in prior generations. Not all crimes are equal. In the culture at the time, killing somebody's servant was, I mean, it wasn't great. It was a terrible thing to do. But killing the son, killing the heir of the vineyard, that was next level. Such an act was absolutely craven. In our present day legal system, we recognize that while all killing is bad, not all killing is equally horrific. And Jesus said killing an heir, I mean, it was the worst form of murder. Everyone listening would have understood these tenants would have deserved the worst penalty possible. The severity of any crime is partially determined not just by what happened, who got killed, but how and why it happened. The crime that Jesus is describing in his parable, the one that he is predicting, it's not a crime of passion. It is a premeditated, cold-blooded murder. Jesus is predicting what those he is speaking to are going to do to him. Jesus is leaving his future murderers without excuse. The closest modern-day equivalent of this would be somebody getting a restraining order against someone they believe is going to kill them. If the person the restraining order was against then goes and kills the person that took out the restraining order, it is very difficult for the murderer to claim they didn't commit the crime on purpose. It's pretty hard to claim that that was an accident. Motive matters as well. Those leasing the vineyard, we know why they kill the son in the story. They do it because they believe it will benefit themselves. They say, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. 
They don't want to be subservient to the owner of the vineyard. They want it all for themselves. The motive of those who kill Jesus, who will kill Jesus, is the same. They don't want anyone to be their lord. They want to be their own lords. And they will do whatever they need to do to maintain their self-rule. The Pharisees and chief priests, they, they know enough to know better. They can't claim ignorance about right and wrong. They had every advantage to know who Jesus was. They knew the Old Testament well. The Old Testament gave a lot of information on what the Messiah would be like, how God would work out his salvation for Israel and all people was not a topic for which there was no information. Jesus knows the people who want him dead should know who he is. He asked them, have you never read in the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. Of course they had read this. This quote can be found in Psalm 118 verses 22 and 23. At the time, the Psalms were the hymn book for Jewish worship. They knew them as well as any top 40 hit that gets played on the radio. And quoting a portion of this Psalm, Jesus isn't just saying, this is the part of the Psalm that applies to the situation. He is linking to what all of the Psalm says. This is still a way communication happens today. In scholarly fields, when you are making an argument, you don't repeat all the information that applies to your point. You reference key findings. In doing so, you build on what was already been established previously. Lawyers do the same in legal arguments. Jesus is saying, I am the fulfillment of what Psalm 118 says. That Psalm is 29 verses long, so I'm not gonna read all of it now, but I would encourage you to do so at some point this week. I will read a few verses from it to show how it provides a context for what Jesus is saying, what he is linking to in Matthew 21. Beginning in verse 19, the psalmist writes, Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord, the righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords. Up to the horns of the altar. The story Jesus tells and the psalm he quotes 
are both telling the same story. They're both making the same point. God's son, the Messiah, is rightful Lord of all. He will be rejected. Those that reject Jesus, who is God's son, cut themselves off from God. They will be destroyed by that rejection. In verse 45 of Matthew 21, it makes clear the Pharisees and chief priests knew they were the ones Jesus would say would kill and reject him, who was God's son, his salvation, the Lord to whom all creation belonged. Instead of this awareness leading to repentance, it leads to murder. Their motive to rule in Jesus' place is so great, they cannot accept what Jesus is saying. Those Jesus is speaking to should have known better. There are many other people that don't know nearly as much. Both at the time Jesus walked the earth, in our world today, many people don't know much about Jesus, if anything, at all. Jesus came to make himself known. He is frequently interacting with people who don't know him in the New Testament. Matthew 9, 35 and 36 tells us that Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The world today is filled with people that are like sheep without a shepherd. Knowledge of Jesus in our society is rapidly while some people certainly reject Jesus, there are many who just don't know enough one way or the other. Throughout his ministry, Jesus shows a lot of sympathy towards those who don't know who he is. He has compassion on them. He patiently tries to show them who he is. As Jesus' representatives here on earth, we should do the same. While not everyone has access to the same amount of information about Jesus, nobody is completely ignorant. Romans 1.20 says, For God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Every person has an ingrained sense that there is more to life than can be observed in nature. Even in our current cultural moment where it is increasingly common to claim to be agnostic or atheist, there is still a strong sense of right and wrong that exists. C.S. Lewis famously pointed out that this 
only makes sense if something more outside of our physical realm exists. The point in saying is to highlight that ignorance is not ultimately an excuse. All are accountable to the level of divine knowledge they have. Some have more, some have less, but all have some. In many cases, ignorance is an act of willful rejection of Jesus Christ. Many will refuse to acknowledge who Jesus Christ is for the same reason the Pharisees and chief priests did. They don't want to submit to his lordship. They want to rule God's creation. The vineyard is a parable for their own benefit. The results of rejecting or embracing Jesus are significant. Rejection will result in great loss. The Pharisees and chief priests' reason for rejecting Jesus was made clear in the parable. They want to rule what God has given for their own benefit. In rejecting Jesus by killing him, they are actually totally losing that which they valued so highly. Jesus says, therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. Their actions had the opposite effect of what they desired. It did not have to be this way. These people think that to get what they want, Jesus can't be involved. In their mind, it is a zero-sum game where they will win if Jesus loses, and they will lose if Jesus wins. They don't understand that Jesus is the means by which victory is achieved. In rejecting Jesus, they are rejecting victory. They are embracing death. The sin of Adam, the desire to be independent from God, to rule creation for our own benefit, repeats itself throughout Scripture. In many people's minds, God is an impediment. In reality, God is the facilitator. The specifics of our present day situation are different from when Jesus told this story. The general framework is the same. Jesus is the basis for salvation. In Acts chapter 4, Peter quotes what Jesus said in today's verses from Psalm 18, telling those who had been most responsible for Jesus' death. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 9 and 10 adds, 
For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with Him. Tragically, there are still those that reject Jesus to whatever extent they are aware of Him. Because they view the Christ as an impediment to self-rule. On the one hand, this is undeniable. No person is their own. Any attempts to live independently from God are a rejection of Him. What viewing Jesus as an impediment to self-rule misses is that when any is that any who rule themselves will destroy themselves. Jesus is the cornerstone for life. The cornerstone is the starting. In ancient times, great care was taken in laying the cornerstone. It was the foundational piece that everything that came later would be built off of. A solid starting point meant the subsequent construction could be good. I am more convinced today than I've ever been that Jesus is the necessary starting point for a coherent life. I have seen too many other starting points fall short. We live in a world with a million possible starting points. Only Jesus is reliable. Quoting the psalm, Jesus says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. That was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Jesus' foundational role is an act of the Lord. Only he could supply what we needed. He did so in the most surprising way possible. Jesus is marvelous news. Every person that realizes their need for Jesus cannot help but appreciate him. Jesus is the good news. He is our salvation. The either-or nature of today's scripture leads to a question that is uncomfortable for many. It used to be that evangelists would ask those they were ministering to where they would go if they died that night. Some still ask this question while others find it overly manipulative. It's a completely valid question. It's a question you could certainly ask based on today's text. I would ask a slightly different question. What is the basis of your life? Are you building on Jesus Christ or something else? If you are building on anything other than Jesus, expect to be broken or crushed. Jesus Christ is the only sure foundation.
Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your word to us. Thank you for giving us truth, Lord. Thank you for sending your son into this world, for giving us a world to live in, for giving us life. I pray that you would be with each of us. Some of us do recognize our need for you as the cornerstone, as our foundational starting point. Some of us haven't yet realized that. But all of us struggle in one way or another to actually build our lives upon Jesus Christ, our cornerstone. We are tempted in so many other ways. So I pray that you would be with us, Lord. I pray that we would base our lives on Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.